Holy shit, it's another fucking day. It's the best day ever again. Cause I'm a stupid fucking cat and I don't know shit. And I don't know what it is to be sad. I think I'll run around for no good reason and act like there's stuff I gotta do. I have no idea how much the world sucks cause I have no reference level. Holy hell, that guy's bringing me food. This food sucks, but I don't even know it. Now I'm shitting in a box cause I don't give a fuck And the guy throws it out for me Now I think I'll lie down here Now I think I'll lie down here Cause I got no fucking bills to pay Sometimes I look out windows cause I'm stupid as hell Holy Christ, it's a piece of paper I have no idea how pointless I am And I don't even know I'm gonna die Now it's time to go to bed Gotta get some fucking rest cause it's the best day ever tomorrow Oh. Music and murder contains violence, oh. profanity, oh. and graphic material that may not be suitable for children oh. or people with weak stomachs. Oh. Parental advisory is definitely recommended. Hello there, and thank you for joining me for episode 27 of Music and Murder. I would really like to say Merry fucking Christmas and Happy fucking New Year. And to anyone that doesn't like me saying Merry Christmas, I hope you have an awful Christmas. Because if you're going to be offended anyway, I'm going to give you something to fucking be offended about. I'm like an 80s mother. Fuck your Christmas and fuck your mama too, biatch. So I am your host, Michael D. Keeney, and the D stands for Don't Fuck With Me, because I do bite and I am venomous. For this episode, we have another beautiful love story about a beautiful couple that killed and raped many people together. And they were dubbed by many as the worst murder team in American history. And I honestly think that that's pretty fucking accurate, because remember, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka were Canadians, eh? And Fred and Rose West were from England. So here we have the dynamic married duo called the Sex Slave Killers. Many of you have not heard of them, but you're about to wonder why that is. Oh, and the female in this story had the highest IQ out of any serial killer who was ever captured and given an IQ test. Now the female counterpart in this episode is named Charlene Gallego. I did briefly mention her on episode 26. Now this episode is about abduction, torture, rape, sodomy, asphyxiation, and of course, many, many murders. That occurred during the golden era for serial killers. The biggest thing is that this couple looked so, so normal. Hit the show's IG at music underscore murder underscore podcast if you'd like to see them. And there's going to be an amazing after show interview, just like the last episode. And this one is going to be with the first female that I've ever interviewed on the show. And her name is Chastity. And Chastity is the singer of the Las Vegas band Heroin Honey. And that is heroin as in hero, not the drug that kills everybody. I'm so fucking excited for the future of this podcast because the people that I have been on the show from now on are all going to be fucking amazing. Not to say I haven't had amazing interviews in the past, but the people I'm getting ready to have on this show is really going to solidify this show as being one of the best fucking 
true crime podcasts in history. And I know those are some pretty big words, but I have a pretty big dick. I mean, I am a pretty big dick. So it all equates to greatness. And I've done my fucking time. It's now time for the show to start hitting seven and eight figure downloads. And I promise you, it will. Okay, episode 27 is right up yonder. So exit light and enter night. Take my hand and we're off to fucking murder land. Oh, and one more thing. I'm finally getting some M&M swag made. That is music and murder stuff. It will be available on the IG very soon. Most of my audience is ladies, so most of my swag will be for the ladies, of course. Like, I'm gonna have some nice big custom-made latex dildos of my actual dick with the show logo on it. You're gonna love these things, and more importantly, more importantly, they're gonna love you. Long time. And unlike your boyfriend, they're gonna actually make you come. I cannot wait to get them out and inside of all of you. And guys, I'll have some shit for you too. Like drugs and alcohol to help with dealing with your old ladies. Don't worry, it'll be there. Okay, here we go for real. Oh, and Josh Dixon, if you're out there listening, thank you for the cat song. I love that fucking song. No matter what kind of mood I'm in, I listen to that song and it just makes me fucking happy. I love it. I wish I was a dumb fucking cat that didn't know he was gonna die. Wouldn't that just be amazing? I just want to be a cat for a day. All right, here we go. Fucking episode 27, The Love Slave Killers. Hope you dig it. If I were to ask you, what is the most dangerous thing on planet Earth, what would you say? Here's a hint to that answer. It's not one thing. It's around 8 billion things. Still thinking? Well, the answer is simple. It is the human brain. It's not human hands, Satan, God, the ocean, meteors, solar flares, earthquakes, the coronavirus, or any of that shit. Not at all. It's the human brain. The human brain is the creator of hell, religion, politics, money, the sex that we actually jerk off to these days, power, and all of that. All of that ends more lives than anything. What if I were to also tell you that just religion in itself is responsible for more human deaths than anything else that has ever existed. Would you believe me? Well, you really shouldn't because it's not true. It's the human brain. And the human brain's desire to kill anyone and anything that does not worship the same deity or deities as it does. Yeah, if you know anything about the history of mankind, you know that religion and the perception that the human brain perceives as religion has killed more human beings than anything in this world. Read the Old Testament if you don't believe me. It's kind of a long version of my show. Spoiler alert, everyone dies. We're all, in one way or another, programmed to do four things. 
And those four things are consume, breathe, fuck, and kill. There are two main parts to our brains. And one is the primitive or reptilian brain that is responsible for these four things. This is the part of your brain that takes over when you're horny and you literally turn into an animalistic fuck monster. It's also the part of the brain that kicks in when someone is stabbing or bludgeoning someone and they can't stop because they're in primitive or survival mode. Lastly, this part of the brain is the reason why you cannot kill yourself by holding your breath. No human, in, no human on earth can willingly hold their breath until they die. At most, you may be able to pass out, but you will not die. As Chow says, But did you die? No, you didn't, because the primitive brain is programmed to survive at any cost. Now the cerebral cortex is a newer part of the human brain that developed when our DNA changed or altered and our heads became smaller and we became homo sapiens. This occurred no matter what theological endeavor your brain desires to believe. We have Cro-Magnum skeletal remains and other human remains and the cerebral cortex was not developed like it is now. The primitive brain thus usually keeps us from raping, killing, and doing other very unethical things that will surely send us to prison for life and kick us out of society, right? Fight or flight is a primitive function in the human brain, but now it is decided mostly by a rational thinking of the cerebral cortex by weighing the good versus the bad as far as predictive outcomes go. The reason why this is so important for this episode is because Charlene Gallego, who possesses the same IQ as Albert Einstein, decided to become a serial rapist when she was only 20 years old, likely because her sexual preference was women and this was the late 70s. And back then, it wasn't the air quote, in thing to be a lesbian. It was very much frowned upon. And when your peers find out about it, your life was sure to be a miserable mess at best. So being the intelligent thinker that Charlene was during her third marriage to a man by the time that she was just 20, she was willing to do whatever it took to be able to have sex with women because her primitive brain needed to have sex that fulfilled her desires. Maybe some of you know what I mean. I've said it a million times. The dick and clit want what the dick and clit want. And only one thing can change what the dick and clit want, and that is death. A woman gets wet when she gets aroused. But there is a secret. They also get hard, like a man. I know many of you clueless dudes have no idea exactly how a vagina works. To many of you, it's just a wet hole. And that is why you're stuck jerking off most of the time. The clitoris is kind of like a little tiny dick, like what most of you guys have. 
when turned on in the correct manner, it will engorge with blood and it will get hard and bigger. And then the vaginal walls will secrete a liquid, thus making it easy for a woman to be ready to have sexual intercourse. Learn and know about the vagina and you may just get to not only keep one, you might be able to actually have one all to yourself. However, if this vagina that you crave is craving other vaginas, you may just have to rape women with her and then kill them. Which brings me to my next point. Welcome to episode 27, The Love Slave Killers, Gerald Armand Gallego and Charlene Adele Gallego. Charlene Adele was born and raised in an affluent family that resided in Stockton, California. And her father was a very well-respected businessman in the grocery store business. To be specific, Charlene's father was a vice president of a supermarket chain. Doesn't sound very exciting, but it did pay well. Now, Charlene wasn't only a lesbian, she was also known to be an extremely promiscuous, and some even called her a nymphomaniac, which is basically a female that acts like an average dude, to be brutally honest. So after Charlene fucked quite a few guys in high school, and also fucked a lot of co-workers, she felt the need to settle down with a very nice, rich young man who loved heroin a little more than he loved her. After their divorce, the man claimed that he had to leave her because she kept trying to talk him into having a threesome with another woman. Because this guy was not only addicted to heroin, he was also apparently gay as fuck. No offense to my gay audience, of course. Y'all know I love gay guys. I wish all guys were gay because that would leave me 1% of the female population. The other 99% would go to Morgan Wallen. And that's even if he gave me the 1% because he got like super tired or some shit, I don't know. So after this marriage ended, Charlene was 18. She did have some lesbian sex, but no relationships with women. She then met a military Navy man and she immediately got bored and started cheating on him because she stated that he was boring and he was a mama's boy. And she hated the fact, of course, that he had one of those stupid old penises. And we can't forget the fact that she obviously wanted a bad boy. If she was gonna deal with any penis at all, it was going to be a penis that came with a bad boy. Now the guy she was fucking while she was married to the military guy quit fucking her because she wouldn't stop pressuring him to tell his wife about her so they could all three have sex. So again, Charlene is trying her best to have sex with another woman. Now after he quit fucking Charlene because of all this, Charlene then tried to commit suicide via overdose on pills. It's not clear if the suicide attempt was actually authentic or a cry for help, but after a short stay in the Stockton Hospital, she was released, and it wasn't too long after that suicide attempt that she'd meet the man 
who was about to not only have a threesome with her and another woman, but the man that was going to help her act out every dark and depraved sexual fantasy that she has ever had involving sex with another woman. And they weren't ever, ever gonna take no for an answer. Now I'll be right back after this song from Heroin Honey called Crows. And please don't forget, there is an interview with the singer Chastity at the end of this episode. And yes, I did say Chastity in the intro because I do a lot of drugs. Her name is Chastity. Again, here's Heroin Honey with Crows.
And now, a nice little Christmas story from your friend, Joe Exotic. Merry fucking Christmas, motherfuckers. It's your friend, Joe Exotic, and for right now, jolly old Saint Dick. And man, that dick is big and fucking pierced. Now I decided to come out of retirement to tell y'all a motherfucking Christmas story, and hopefully a story that's gonna come true someday. Alright, now go get your dumb motherfucking kids, and y'all dumb motherfuckers sit around the stupid fucking Christmas tree, and let Joe tell you a motherfucking Christmas story. Now, twas the motherfucking night before Christmas, and all through Carol Baskin's house, every motherfucker was dead, even the motherfucking mouse. Her big fat severed head was hung by the chimney with care, with her guts hanging out of her headless body because Joe motherfucking exotic was there. Her dumb motherfucking husband was lying in the bed in a puddle of his own blood with two shots in his fucking head. I left a nice little present right under their tree. I didn't have to take a shit, but I did have to pee. So after I pissed, I shot her once more and I yelled out, I finally killed you, you dumb motherfucking whore. It was the best Christmas present ever as I turned her whole house red. The best gift in the world. Carol Baskin was finally fucking dead. So I jumped back in my sleigh that ran off of tigers and meth cause I'm a shot calling motherfucking OG that deals in motherfucking death. And as me and my meth tigers flew out of sight, I yelled out, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good motherfucking night. And Merry Christmas to all you dumb motherfuckers. And Santa Claus ain't real, motherfucker. And neither is the motherfucking Tooth Fairy, the fucking goddamn Easter Bunny, motherfucking everything. Everything's fucking fake. Every fucking goddamn thing in the world is fucking fake. The only fucking thing in the world that's real is motherfucking death. Fucking kill every motherfucking bitch named fucking Carol. Fucking hate this shit, motherfucker. So Charlene Gallego, who after her second divorce by the age of 20 years old, was using her maiden name which was Williams, and I forgot to mention it, but Charlene was also an avid violinist. It was said that she could play pretty much anything. Back to her maiden name. I always thought a woman's maiden name should be referred to as their iron maiden name. Perhaps I will have to implement that when I become president. Oh shit, I just remember there's way too many sex tapes and way too many videos of me doing blow. But after Biden, y'all motherfuckers just might want to see someone who is doing blow in the White House. So some shit will actually get done, right? So Charlene Williams finally meets her soulmate. And I call Gerald Gallego her soulmate because after these two meet, they begin turning a lot of young women into souls. Hmm. 
And so it began. On September 10th, 1977, Charlene, who was 20 years old, and Gerald, who was 30, meet at a poker club in Sacramento, California. You may know Sacramento as the capital of California and where bands like Tesla and Linkin Park are from. After these two meet, and I mean right after they meet, like Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka, they fuck immediately in the bathroom. Because we have to remember, even though Charlene possesses an IQ equivalent to that of the great Albert Einstein, her primitive brain told her to fuck everything in sight. Plus, Gerald was everything that her previous two husbands was not. He wasn't wealthy, he wasn't addicted to heroin, nor was he a soldier, or even employed for that matter. He was absolutely perfect for her, because unlike the others, he would definitely, definitely be the guy to help her have the sex that she really wanted which was with other women. So let's talk just a minute about Gerald's upbringing. Again, he was born on July 17, 1946, and not only was his parents not rich, but his mother was a whore, and his father, his father was a cop killer. There is that body count reference again, right? Ernie C. A Body Count will be on the show soon, I promise you. So Gerald's upbringing is bad. And when I say bad, I mean fucking bad. Not only was the aforementioned statements true, but his father was literally the first person in the state of Mississippi to be executed via the gas chamber in 1955. He obviously wasn't the first man executed because Mississippi loved to kill people. And no, I'm not just talking about any certain race or ethnic group. They hung the fuck out of everyone. Very, very vicious state as far as history goes. And they have the bragging rights of bearing the very worst prison conditions in American history. So if you ever go to Mississippi, or if you live in Mississippi, don't break the fucking law. Just don't. So Gerald's father was kinda the senior version, complete with a kinda senior name. You see, Gerald in the story's name is Gerald Armand Gallego, but his dear old dad's name was Gerald Albert. Lego. I just thought that was pretty interesting. Now Gerald's dad was incarcerated for pretty much everything that you can be incarcerated for, including of course good old murder, right? And he escaped prison, kept a prison guard hostage, and then after about a month of hauling him around, finally, finally shot him to death. I'm guessing that the officer was trying to escape and Gerald's father was keeping him for leverage. Very interesting story. I've never heard of anyone taking a cop hostage for like a month 
after escaping prison especially. And this guy, meaning his dad, was the poster boy for a mean looking motherfucker. He didn't need to be big, buffed out, or have tattoos all over his face. This guy just reeked, reeked of don't fuck with me because I will slit your fucking throat and then eat a sandwich over your dead body. So now that we know where Gerald's 23 sperm chromosomes literally came from, get it? Yeah, I'm hilarious. Now let's discuss his egg donor. So let me reiterate, Gerald's mother was a whore and a dirty little whore at that. I mean, come on, I just told you about the dude she conceived Gerald with, right? Her name was Katherine Levinsky. Now, his whore mother, who we'll just call Bambi, had multiple men in her life and in her bed. Now, this gets a little bad, so my apologies. But not only would Bambi sell herself and have sex with men for money, but she also had sex with Gerald. And she let her clients sodomize and orally copulate him as well and on on special occasions for Bambi she would join in with these men and both molest and rape young Gerald with them this was possible because there was no good man in Gerald's life and not only did Gerald never get to meet his real father before he was put to death in 1955, when Gerald was only nine years old. But Gerald's mother, the whore, had always told him that his father had died before Gerald was even born. Now at the age of 10, Gerald went to juvenile hall for the very first time for robbing his neighbor's house. Because his mother never even really fed him. I can't blame him for this crime, but this is the only crime that he committed that could ever be construed as understandable in my eyes. When Gerald was 13, he was arrested again, this time for raping a six-year-old girl. And I repeat, raping, not molesting, raping. After this, Gerald's life was just a whirlwind of shit. He was married seven fucking times before he met Charlene at the age of 30. So Charlene was his eighth. Yeah, that was not a mistake. This guy was married seven times before he even met Charlene. And you thought that her being married twice by the age of 20 was bad. These two were definitely a match made in hell. Gerald worked a lot of odd jobs, mostly as a truck driver and as a bartender, but his main hustle was to live off the seven women that he married. He seemed to get a divorce every time that those women ran out of money. Now Gerald didn't just rape the six-year-old girl when he was 13. He also raped his own daughter multiple times. And this came out after he was later arrested for all these murders that we're going to talk about, right? 
Allegedly, Gerald raped his daughter often. And when Charlene came into his life, when him and Charlene got together, they both allegedly had sex with Gerald's daughter as well. When Gerald and Charlene finally got married, Gerald was also still married to his seventh wife, the wife he had before Charlene. So yes, Gerald was a bigamist, a thief, a rapist, a pedophile, and after him and Charlene were legally married, Gerald also became impotent, and he could no longer have a normal sex life. So, he explained to Charlene that he needed more. I'll be right back to explain what this more was after this song by Dan Hick called Musicians and UFOs. I hope you like it.
really fast, please follow the show's IG at music underscore murder underscore podcast. And please leave the show a good review so the show can stay around. It would really mean a lot to me and the musicians that I actually play on this show. And I will follow you back on IG as well. And please do message me if you'd like to be a guest on this show or have your music played on the show. Thank you. So you can likely tell that this is the part of the story that's going to be pretty violent because of the suspenseful music. But there is usually suspenseful music on this show, correct? And if I were to ask you, how do you keep an asshole in suspense? And you said how? I'd say absolutely nothing. You people over 30 probably know what I'm talking about, right? But no, this is really the hardest part of the story. So I try to use a little bit of humor to equal it out. This is the part where I have to discuss the victims and the senseless violence and torture that the victims had to endure. Now I've told you everything that you need to know about the past of Gerald and Charlene Gallego. How they grew up, how they married many different people, and finally met at a poker club in Sacramento. And now I'm going to tell you why they are on Music and Murder. In 1978, after Gerald and Charlene met, they were married just a couple of months later. Within just a couple of months of their very small wedding, they made the decision that they wanted to have the threesomes that Charlene had always fantasized about while masturbating and having sex. She especially wanted this with Gerald because being the rapist that Gerald was, he engaged in, these, in extremely rough sex and sodomized the very small and petite Charlene on a regular basis. So of course, she figured that if she brought in another woman for him to sodomize and rape, maybe she wouldn't have to endure it all alone. And she could partake in the lesbian sex that she had always wanted. Gerald also disclosed to Charlene that he was losing his libido and he could not keep an erection unless the sex was rough and against the woman's will. Thus, blood would actually flow to his dick when this happened. Sounds crazy, but this is, a ve this is very common. The adrenaline and the power that come from rape will make blood flow to the genital region if you're into this type of sadistic sex. I briefly went over this in episode 2 when discussing Danny Parker Ray, or whatever the fuck his name was, David Parker Ray. If you're an Orange is the New Black fan, think about the episode where the Predator tells Piper that he can't get off with having sex with her because he's a Predator. And then they agree that she would just give him her dirty, worn panties. I know this sounds crazy to you ladies, but the pheromones that are in your vagina does secrete onto your underwear. Thus, if a man smells your underwear while masturbating, it will heighten the sensation and make it seem more like a real sexual act. During intercourse, 
pheromones play a huge part in men in men being able to stay erect and ejaculate. It's the newest thing that the makers of sex dolls are working on as we speak. They are trying to figure out how to put in pheromones in these dolls to make it seem more real. So with this new information about Gerald being rather impotent, Charlene gives Gerald permission to do whatever he wants to do to keep that little dick of his hard. And just like that, within two weeks of this conversation, Gerald brings home a 16-year-old exotic dancer, and the couple both have their first threesome. And everything seems like it's going as planned. Only two days later, Gerald comes home to find his cute little wife having sex with that 16-year-old stripper all alone. Gerald was furious. He grabbed the 16-year-old stripper by her hair and literally threw her out of their bedroom window naked. Then proceeded to beat the shit out of Charlene and then, like the little bitch he was, he refused to have sex with her until she agreed to let him begin kidnapping women. Charlene agreed to not only let him, but she came up with the idea to help pick the women up and lure them to their van, where Gerald would obviously be waiting with a gun. And so now things get real, real bad, real fast. Being that Charlene was so intelligent, the Albert Einstein of rape and kidnapping, if you will, they decided to get their first victim in Sparks, Nevada, which wasn't too far from Sacramento where they resided, but it was far enough. On June 26, 1978, they abducted Sandra K. Butler right across the street from her home where she was riding her bicycle. Allegedly, Charlene drove while Gerald jumped out of the van, grabbed her, and pulled her back inside of the van. They took Sandra back home, raped, sodomized, and tortured this poor girl, and then Gerald shot her in the head. Her remains to this day have still never ever been found, unfortunately. Now this part of the story needs to be taken with a grain of salt because it all derives from Charlene's testimony against Gerald. All of their victims were dead, so Charlene, like Carla Hermoka, got the deal of a lifetime in return for her testimony against Gerald. So we will never know exactly what happened as far as details, but we do know that the murders are real and Charlene and Gerald were responsible. All of the murders had pretty much the same M.O. Around three months later, on September 10th, still 1978, the couple abducted 16-year-old Kippy Vaught and 17-year-old Rhonda Scheffler from the Sacramento Mall. They were taken to Baxter, California, and they were raped, sodomized, and tortured all night inside the van by both Gerald and Charlene. The next day, 
they drove the young girls to Slow House, California, where Gerald beat the girls with a tire iron and then shot each one of them in the head with a 25 caliber handgun. Now, Charlene later told a cellmate that this was her favorite murder and she was extremely turned on the entire time, especially when Gerald beat the girls with a tire iron. And some say chivalry is dead. Now that Gerald knew this turned Charlene on, he wanted to really repeat this act as much as possible. However, allegedly, they didn't kill again for almost another year. And I say allegedly because we only know what Charlene wants us to know. I mean, these two could have killed 150 people for all we know. Now, on June 24th, 1979, during the Washoe County Fair in Reno, Nevada, the two kidnapped and did all of the same things to 14-year-old Brenda Judd and 13-year-old Sandra Colley. I do believe that they were intentionally wanting to abduct, abduct younger women so Charlene could control them easier. And this time, she actually did. This time, she was not just a participant. During this abduction, Charlene actually took control of the girls alone and made them perform oral sex on her and on each other while she masturbated. After about 10 hours of this, Gerald let the two out of the van and then followed right behind them and beat them to death with a shovel. The young teens' bodies weren't found until November of 1999 by a construction worker, which was about 19 years later. On April 24th of 1980, in Lovelock, Nevada, the two kidnapped Stacy Redican and Karen Twiggs. They were both 17 years old. They did their normal routine, only this time, Gerald killed the teens with a claw hammer. And he made Charlene watch him kill them and bury them in a very shallow grave. Charlene testified that the girls were still moving, but she did nothing to help put them out of their misery. Around three months later, a family who was having a picnic came across the girls' bodies, which were half-eaten by likely a bear or a pack of coyotes. On June 6th, still 1980, in Portland, Oregon, where I do believe murder is actually legal now, the couple from hell picked up a 21-year-old hitchhiker named Linda Aguilar. The couple again did their normal routine, only this time, Charlene couldn't remember how they killed her. But it was proven that Aguilar was four months pregnant and her skull was crushed, and she was buried alive, factually, because she had dirt inside of her lungs with a crushed skull. I do doubt that she was alive very long. I'm really hoping that she was at least unconscious during this horrific event. Aguilar was also tied up and bound by her ankles and wrists, likely because she was 21 and pregnant, 
So she obviously fought these two ghouls off with everything that she had. Her body was found in a shallow grave by German tourists that couldn't speak English. So it was a task to just initially get the police department out there. Now just over a month later, which makes this the two closest murders in the time frame for the couple, they abducted 31-year-old Virginia Mokul when she was leaving a Sacramento bar that she bartended at. Now this murder was very unique, very unique for the couple because it was the only murder that we know of where the victim was sought out beforehand. Both Gerald and Charlene knew Mogul. They were patrons of the bar that she worked at. This is where they begin to unravel and get a little sloppy. Because if you recall, they went from literally driving out of state to abduct their victims to now getting them from a bar that they frequented and was very close in proximity to their home in Sacramento. They tied and bound Mokul with nylon fishing line and also strangled her with the same fishing line. Her body was found just three months later in Clarksburg, California. Now we will be right back with the final murders and the capture and trial of Charlene and Gerald after this tune by recording artist Kevin Turner. This song is called In My Heart and hopefully it helps get your mind off of all this brutal shit that we just went over. And don't forget, we still have the interview with Heroin Honey front woman Chastity. So please don't go anywhere. Try to 
On November 1st, 1980, 20-year-old Mary Beth Sowers and 22-year-old Craig Miller had been drinking at a restaurant in Sacramento. It was Founders Day and it was a party for their fraternity and the couple was in their formals and they were departing from the party right around midnight. They were both students attending Sacramento State where Mary Beth was in a sorority and Craig was in a fraternity. So as the couple was leaving the party, their friend Andy was also departing the party and he sees Mary Beth and Craig Miller sitting in the back seat of this little blue car. Being intoxicated, being intoxicated and wanting to fuck with them a bit, he tells his girlfriend Martha to quote, watch this, as he proceeded to jump into the driver's seat of the blue car. Now when this occurred, Craig had told his friend, Andy, in a very serious tone, and I quote, Andy, this is no place for you to be, end quote. Now about that time, Charlene Gallego runs out from the other side of the car and rips Andy right out of the driver's seat, and she screams at him to get the fuck out of her car, and she pulls him all the way out. Then she slaps the shit out of him. Now, after Charlene hits him, Gerald comes out of the woodwork and jumps into the passenger seat, and the couple and their two captives speed off. Now, Andy had at least enough intelligence to write down the license plate number of this car. Now, strangely, Gerald and Charlene drove all the way from Sacramento to Bass Lake, which is like a three and a half hour drive. Once there, Gerald pulled Craig Miller out from the car and he shot him in the back of the head right in front of his fiance Mary Sowers. The couple then took Sowers back to their apartment and raped her for several hours. When they were done destroying and violating this poor woman's entire existence, they drove her to Placer County. They shot her in the head three times and then they went home and slept like babies. Thanks to Andy though, the police ran the plate and they found out that the car belonged to a married couple named Charlene Adele and Gerald Gallego. The married couple lived in an affluent suburb of Sacramento and Charlene at this time was 23 and her husband Gerald was 33. When the police went to the house, they first saw Gerald who was just brushing them off and he said he was late and had the beast somewhere. And Charlene was about six months pregnant and showing. And Gerald just left her like stuck there with the police while he took off. And yes, you heard me correctly. Charlene was six months pregnant and they were still abducting people for them to rape and torture and do God knows what. I don't know what became of the baby, but I would seriously seriously be keeping an eye on this person if I were in the FBI. So the police ask Charlene for the keys to the car. She gives the police the keys to the car and she also gives them permission to search the vehicle. Which if you listen to this show on the reg, on the rag, or on meth, you know that you don't ever do that. Whether you're innocent or you're guilty, you always politely tell the police officers that you do not talk to police and to exit your property. 
and to go get a fucking warrant. And these days, you say that while recording them on your phone. Because the police are not your friends. They are never your fucking friends. Your lawyer will definitely thank you for listening to my advice, trust me. So the police find nothing, nothing but a squeaky clean car. But they knew something was up. I mean, they had to, right? So they put the couple under surveillance. Finally, they get a lucky little break because Gerald, being the rocket scientist that he was, decided to show off and fire a gun into the ceiling of the bar that he was tending at. Now take that in for a second. He fires a fucking gun into the ceiling of the bar that he was tending at. Now when the police found out about this, which they found out right away, they of course got a warrant, found the slug in the ceiling, and they matched that slug to the gun that killed Craig Miller and Elizabeth Sowers. And once the couple heard about the police finding this slug, they of course went on the run. Now just about two weeks later, on November 17th, still 1980, Charlene's mother tried to wire the two money, and the police of course set up a surveillance van at the location where the money was supposed to be picked up. And I'm guessing the money finally got put on their books, I, I don't know. Altogether, the Love Slave Killers were sentenced for a total of 11 murders in three different states. In June of 1983, Gerald was sentenced to death in two states. He was at the ripe young age of 56 when karma got his ass, literally, and he died of colon cancer. Charlene Adele was released in 1997 via her little deal for blaming Gerald for everything. While she was incarcerated, Charlene got two college degrees and claimed the entire time that she was never anything but a victim. And she tried vigorously to save all of these people's lives from the evil Gerald. Basically, she was a fucking saint. And this saint now likely lives by you, by your kids. She likely has seen you before. Which brings me to my next point. Just because you're paranoid, it does not mean that they're not out to get you. Charlene and thousands of people just like her are out there lurking and likely in a mall near you buying presents for her serial killer kid. Till next time, take care of yourself. Have a very, very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And now it is time to call Chastity from Heroin Honey. I love this band. Let's do this. All right, we're going to call Chastity right now. I think we have her. There we go. Hello? Chastity. Hi. Did I say it right? Yep. Awesome. It, okay. That's it. It's kind of awkward to say, but that's that's how you say it. You know, I used to think that I had really good pronunciation until I started doing this fucking show, and then it's like, I butcher everything, and now it's just kind of like a thing. I think people like it. They're like, oh, he's just going to butcher everything. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but I won't butcher I, your I name. Am, I'm the same. 
Okay, so your band is Heroin Honey. And do you pronounce that actually heroin, even though it's actually like the hero form of, of heroin with an E on it? Yeah, I mean, the way it's spelled, you would think it would be like heroin or heroin or something Her-wine-y. like that. Heroin-y. <laughs> no, no, it's just heroin, honey. Now, where did you come up with that name? Heroin, because it's a female-fronted band. And uh, Honey, because our songs have a lot of dark, kind of seductive, provocative undertones in the lyrics. And uh, Miss Well, you Honey, guys are a Christian band, right? That's right. Uh, following in the footsteps of um, our favorite band, Creed. I read this interview where the band members of Creed used to get all pissed off at Scott's lyrics because, you know, they were all religious and he was a mess. Yeah. For a really long time. So yeah, they were like, he was on meth why? and stuff. What the fuck I kn- is happening? Yeah, I know people that know him, and uh, he was actually staying in Las Vegas by where you are for a long period really? of time. But I mean, who really in the music industry didn't stay there for at least, you know, one stint? He was smoking meth. You know, they, they know oh. for a fact that he was smoking meth. The only thing that I heard about was that he was like a terrible alcoholic. Uh-huh. I saw recently that they're coming back, and he's he looks great. Well, he's probably gotten clean, him, and I'm sure that he's he's better now. He's probably cleaning off the stuff. Yeah, he looks great. Happy for him. You know, I I really don't know how to interview a woman because I don't think I ever have. So I'd like to start off by just (laughs) saying, "So how you doing?" On that subject, please go ahead and just introduce the band, like what they play, what they what they bring to the table, and how you guys met. Well, we're Heroin Honey, and we're from Las Vegas. We played our first show in January 2022, so we've only been together a year and some change. I'm the singer. My name's Chastity. Steve is the guitar player. Brian is bass player, and Dylan plays drums. I would say our genre is very 90s alternative. Alternative, uh, but with a 60s pop rock. We're influenced by a lot of like the 90s alternative grunge stuff and then also 60s Beatles doors. We're kind of a melting pot of a few different things. But yeah, we, we've been together maybe a year and a half. And uh, Where was the first place that you guys played? What, what venue? First venue is a venue in Vegas. It's called Vamped. And it is one of my favorite venues that we played. It's incredible. I'm obsessed with bats and vampires and that whole thing. And Vamped is pretty much that vampire goth themed. Very nice. Okay, so being that you guys are a band, tell me a little bit about your writing process. And I do know that every song is kind of different, but overall, your average song, how do you guys do it? Do you write all the lyrics and then they write music to it? Or is it vice versa? Or do you guys just sit around and write like all the stuff, everything kind of together? We kind of have a little bit of a process. Yeah, like you said, every song's different, but me and the guitar player write kind of like the core of it. I write all the lyrics and he comes up with, with the music. Um, sometimes I come up with the music. It's back and forth. Okay. You see so you play too? Area. What was that? Do you, do you actually play guitar? I do. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know yeah. that. Nice. Yeah. Not in heroin. Not in heroin, honey. I don't. But um, I play, you know, rhythm guitar and just enough to write. I love songwriting and that's kind of been a big focus for us in heroin, honey, is to focus a lot on, on the songwriting, especially lately. A lot of like we've been all kind of writing and coming up with parts for the songs together we have like writing sessions where we have you know some rehearsals are just hours of us kind of picking the song apart and um just writing now on your song crows that we that i actually played earlier which is 
in my opinion, your guys' best song. I love that fucking song. I love Thank a lot you. of your songs, but I think that that song is just amazing. And did you write all the lyrics to that song? At least yes. most of them? Okay. What does that yeah. song mean to you? Because, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, talking about, like, you know, burying me in the dirt and stuff like that. What What is it, like, actually, in your head, if you were to make a video of exactly what you see when that song's playing, like, what would that video kind of depict? Well, the song is pretty self-deprecating, which is not unusual <laughs> for right. my style of writing. Yeah. It's pretty dark. In my head, it's just, just that, basically. Just being food for the crows. <laughs> I don't know. This is very dark, but maybe crows are... Nothing's too dark on this show, Chastity. <laughs> oh, this, that's this, right. This, this is a fucking murder show a where everybody gets killed. <laughs> Uh, Everybody yeah, dies on yeah. my show. Well, I so. guess it's that. Like I'm always. That's always my thing. I'm always like, oh, can I die in this? You're macabre. Uh, yeah. You're, you're like you said. Like you're you're into goth stuff. You're more macabre, and you know I think a lot of people are. A lot of very brilliant people are. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I. I've just kind of. That's just kind of where I lean naturally. Um. I don't know. I haven't really thought about the video too much, but that's kind of what it's about. It's just a lot of self-deprecation and. Um, and I didn't mean like literal sense. Like if you made an MTV video back when MTV had video. I mean, like, if it was just, like, something that we could visually see that you see in your head is what I what I kind of meant more. I didn't really mean, like, a literal video sense, like, if you shot oh, it or okay. something. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it would just literally, I mean, for me, it's just talking shit on yourself and basically hating who you are and just wanting to be eaten alive Do you have Do you have a lot of problems with that? Like, <laughs> I mean, besides the macabre part of chastity, is there is there, like, depression and stuff? in your life like you you kind of have some times where you're just like really down on life i feel like oh i yeah i mean naturally i think uh, as an artist that's that's kind of my i would say just my go-to feel not yeah. my go-to and it's that's an just, outlet that's it's just an who outlet. i that's just who i am i i haven't had the easiest life so right especially right. you know just right before heroin honey was very hard and heroin honey has been pretty much me healing from all the terrible things and talking about it and yeah, writing about it's it a, it's um, a great outlet not, write, not even writing about exactly what happened but how all the dark parts um that i've been going through coming out of a terrible thing that i went through you know yeah yeah trust me if anybody understands i mean I, I do there's days that i can't even get out of bed i just i have depression i have i have some problems i'm not a complete crazy person to where i have to take like a, a bunch of drugs and stuff but i do get prescribed xanax i do have chronic anxiety i i have a lot of, of of like issues mentally because of my upbringing and stuff like that too so i think that you know a lot of people have and some of us just don't really give a fuck about admitting it because we know that everybody's fucked up and some people right. act like life's just a big fucking happy movie it's a nice pop song but we know that inside you know they're either alcoholics or they're they're on psychotropic drugs you know it's right. we're, we're all we're all flawed you know i mean there's nobody that's perfect so when i ask you questions like that it's it's definitely not to judge you and i guarantee you that my listeners my demographics they're not going to judge you either you know they, they just want to hear that yeah. they I, I just know for a fact that my listeners like to hear the truth about stuff. That's the reason why they listen to the show, because I don't sugarcoat a fucking thing. Never have. 
Right. So, and writing is a, is a great outlet, and I, you know, I think actually whenever you get to reperform these songs, you know, it's 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 a nice therapeutic thing to be able to do. Absolutely, writing is medicine for me, as cheesy as that sounds, but um, no, it's not cheesy at all. I mean, you're not doing it to try to get pussy, and we all know that there's not <laughs> a lot of money in it. So, I mean, what do we get out of it? We get we get therapy out of it. Yeah, absolutely. There are days, absolutely, when I can't get out of bed, but if I I am getting out of bed to go to rehearsal or to play a show or to get in the recording studio, I can absolutely get out of bed. Yeah, yeah, and then once you get on that microphone, your your whole outlook on life fucking changes. And when you see people's face change when they see you and you're making people happy and you're and even more importantly than making them fucking happy, making them understand. I have a song where it's like tonight I'm gonna make people feel what I feel. I'm gonna go back in my memories and rip those fuckers open. You know, it's like that's the type of shit that I think that we all as performers get. We we get to see people feel what we feel and it helps us get it out there and it get, gets out of us. It's like sitting there on the couch for a shrink. Right, right. Exactly. Very uh, grateful to be able to do that with heroin honey so let's talk about that fucking amazing voice of yours so you've been singing what probably your whole life pretty much my entire life i don't remember when i wasn't did you always have that little bit of rasp that rasp that you no, have no, you're not like janice no. joplin where it's like complete rasp but i love that but it's like when you really built that shit out there's just the right amount and it just makes you fucking feel I just love that. Thank you. Uh, no, I, I did not always have rasp. I actually started singing pop music, and I mean like diva pop music. My dad, I was doing like Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey <laughs> as a child. Uh, so that it, was really, kind of Mariah Carey, you seem so anti Mariah Carey. <laughs> Right, doesn't it? Yeah. But well, I, mean, I mean, I guess, I guess so when like, she was big, I, everybody sang her. You know, I didn't, but I guess right. every female I, that she, could sing. She wasn't my favorite singer, but that was just kind of like what my dad was like. Hey, learn to sing this, and so, so, so I did. He also listened to a lot of Beatles and Aerosmith, and the Rasp stuff comes from that because he would say, "Hey, listen to this. Do you see what? Do you hear that? Like, isn't that cool? You should do that." <laughs> now going back on to the uh, the uh, song crows now for your artwork you have you have a girl in underwear at a table writing lyrics and uh, well it looks like she's writing lyrics i imagine and then she's it's really weird because she's and i don't want i don't mean weird i mean it's just really it's really different that she is pulling the shades to kind of show the city of what I'm thinking is Las Vegas. And it's red and black. And what is what is like really weird about that is because my friend Dave Askew, who I actually interviewed on this show about four or five episodes, he, he wrote one of Ace Frehley's, well, I think Ace Frehley's best single that he ever put out called Outer Space. And he's a good friend of mine. He He's uh, played with the two guys that are playing with Jason Newstead from Metallica. Now I've played with them. We've been in bands together. His band that he put out that song as was called Vultures Over Vegas and it looks just like that picture out the window from that artwork and I know that really? neither one of you guys stole like artwork from each other or anything like that it's just like I saw that and I'm like fuck that looks just like his cover that's crazy so that's amazing why did I you did. pick the black and the, the black birds over the red like that with the black buildings honestly there's like there's there isn't a cool answer for that okay <laughs> the crows Crows was actually 
actually like the artwork at least like the city part i'm a pretty big uh brandon lee fan so you know the crow mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> the yeah. 90s movie yeah didn't he die <laughs> like that was during, kind during of making like, those movies what what was that? Did he die making one of those movies, or did he just get he, shot? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Okay, okay, that, like, that's like, tragically, right. it was an accident. Those were some well, good so, movies too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's that's a whole thing too, right? Like the right. death of like him and Bruce Lee, and the whole controversy and all yes, that. Yes, because Bruce Lee is his dad. Yeah. That's... Yeah fucking crazy yeah yeah. and so yeah that that was kind of the inspiration uh steve our guitar player did the artwork and i kind of just we kind of worked on it together and that was the inspiration we were so obsessed with that movie that it we released the single on devil's day like (laughs) yeah yeah, so you went deep on that it's kind of a lot I like it. Yeah, but if you if you if you ever get bored, look up Vultures Over Vegas. That's my that's my friend Davis Q. That he put out that he put out that record like a couple years ago, maybe a year ago. I don't know. Probably came out right around the same time that you put the single out. But it, but the crazy. whole album cover is just it's blackbirds with a red background with like black buildings, just exactly like that. So I was just like, wow, that's crazy. It, it's, that is that's, crazy. And yeah, I just we, I just interviewed oh, him like okay, four episodes ago. It totally so it was so is. weird. That oh my gosh, yeah, it totally is. No. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's crazy, right? Yeah. No, we... There's like, I mean, the city part was inspired by the crow, but the colors, I mean, red and black just look good together, I guess. Yeah, when I first saw it, I'm like, what is she doing with Dave's album cover on there? But like I said, you could have put that song, I know that song came out in 22, and you know, I think his album came out like in like in 22, right around the same time. So like I said, there's, I'm not saying there's any theft going on, because I mean, like, even if there was, they he wouldn't, they same, wouldn't yeah. Dave would be fucking like thrilled if you used his album cover. You don't give a fuck. It's like, but, but it's just like kind of, it's just so crazy because i just like got through interviewing him so he was he was sending me songs off the record and i that's how i saw the album cover artwork so i was like wow that's crazy wow yeah that's interesting we yeah they both came out in 2022 so yeah nuts yeah listen to outer space on that song if you get a chance ace freely did it but but dave i think did i think dave does a better job than ace freely what's a better accolade than that when you grow up like loving Ace Freely and Loving Kiss, and then he does one of your songs. I mean, I still just can't get over that. Dave really, he he really did good with that. You know, having that on his resume, I thought that that was just amazing. He got to go to the Viper Room and see Ace Freely do it live and stuff like that. So nice. It, yeah, and he actually acknowledged Dave when he did it and stuff, and said, "Hey, these guys wrote this song and shit like that." So yeah, that's if Ace Freely ever said my song, my name, I don't, I don't know if I'd ever live through that. I think I'd have just have a hard time. <laughs> Now he's no Gavin Rosdale or anything like that, but I mean, like I, oh, I love right. Ace. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you. I, yeah, I love Gavin Rosdale. I don't, yes. I don't. I don't know if there's anyone left for me could say my name and like. Me. Yeah, they're they're all dead. Kind all of, your heroes are dead. They're all uh, dead, unfortunately. I guess there's one person. Um, well, you I'm gotta a like Dave Grohl. Hours fan, uh, so I guess Jimmy Necco, if he did. What what band is he in? Uh, it's this band called Hours O U R S, and they're fantastic. I try to tell everybody about them because he is incredible. Uh, he's kind of like Jeff Buckley, Bowie, kind of has some. So just kind of like all over the place. Gothish, then. Like it, it, he's just incredible. He's he's actually written me back like online and stuff a few times and I've met him a few times so I guess I know that you love grunge music and stuff like that and I know that you have to love Dave Grohl so that's if he said your name that would probably be pretty goddamn cool yeah 
Now, um, as I said, I think that your your best song is Crows. Now, I'm gonna give you after we get through with this interview. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna ask you right now, so I know what song to play. But what is your favorite song from Heroin Honey? So I could actually play that as soon as we we get through with the interview. Yeah, our latest single, probably my favorite one, is Metanoia. Okay, what is the song that in your set when you guys are playing a show that you're just like. Fuck yes, I get to belt this fucker out. Well, I have to say that the heroin honey sets are a pain in my ass because I feel like every song is just me belting things. There are a few, a, a couple where I don't, but we don't play the softer ones live all the time because right, the right. venue doesn't call for it. Uh, I have to say probably Metanoia and Sabrosa. We do a cover of Show Me How to Live by Audio Slave sometimes. Mm, and I that one that feels song. really good to do too. Now, you guys been together a year. What do you hope to accomplish with this band? And do you think that all the members in this band envision the same vision that you have where Heroin Honey will be in three to five years? Absolutely. I think so. We're all musicians that want to play music. And you guys are all tour ready. There's nobody that could be like, oh, I'm not going to be able to tour because I have this going on or that going on. Like everybody's, everybody's able to do that if you get that break. If it's a good break, yes. I'm sure we, we can make it work. I mean, people have jobs in the band and I respect oh, that. Oh, totally. But, yeah, I'm sure yeah, not but, everybody's but just living in a room. Pretty, we all work pretty hard to make it so that Heroin Honey can be successful. I eventually want to go overseas. My main thing is to get Heroin Honey to Asia. Yeah, I just know growing up that, you know, I'm a Pacific Islander, Asian female rock singer. That's not, <laughs> that's not an everyday thing at all. So growing up kind of, you know, wanting to be a rock singer felt very lonely and I didn't have anybody to look up to that kind of looked like me. The internet has, has been a good thing for us because we have gained some fans from the Philippines and in Asia and they, you know, there's there's little girls out there that are like, oh, you know, I love rock or my, my daughter loves heroin, honey. And that's kind of what I wanted to, I want to bring an awareness to female rock singers to To that. be more empowered and then that they can actually do that if yeah. they want to pursue something like that. Yeah, because that's that's really not a thing that exists there. They don't really have anyone to kind of look up to. And, and, and you're beautiful, and it's like it it doesn't hurt. And I'm not saying that like, <laughs> hey, everybody Thank go you. look her up because she's beautiful. No, fucking listen to her music because she sounds incredible. But it never hurts to be fucking beautiful. Ask Gavin Rosdale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You yeah. know, I wouldn't yeah. know because I'm not beautiful, but I mean, like, I mean, it, it never hurts. You know, it's one thing if you just go out there and you're just like, hey, I'm good looking, so like my music, and that's definitely not you. But I'm just saying it doesn't hurt that to, to help people, like, just initially want to see your band and, and actually listen to you and stuff. It never hurts to look good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's not like if, a necessity. If it, helps, then, if it helps heroin honey at all, then that's cool. Like I said, like the Asian female fronted rock band thing is kind of not a thing. So. And you definitely okay. would know that from listening to you that you're even part Asian, you know? Because people have right. their stereotype of the way Asians talk or whatever like that. It's like, right. you sound like a fucking, like a, like a white girl from Seattle half the time, you know? So. <laughs> 
which is a compliment, you know. I mean, as no. far as like, because that's that's I'm kind a grunge of, fan. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. That, that's a goal for me too. That that's kind of a common goal for my band is that eventually we would like to open up for like garbage or something. That's kind of a. Are they a still thing. playing? Yeah, yeah, they're still playing. I I posted this. Gosh, it wasn't even great, but I post I posted like a 15 second cover of one of their songs, just me doing something acoustic, and and they reposted it, and we were all freaking out. They they had some good stuff. I liked her. I like that song. I I would die for you. That was a good oh, song. Oh yeah. And she was actually really she she was fucking Gavin for a while too. So I really was she? Yeah, I like her just because of that. Yeah, they they oh. were actually on the cover of Spin together. If I if it was either Spin or Rolling Stone. They they were on the cover, and she was biting his cheek. It was it was actually a really cool picture. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, they're they're great. What is the band tuning to? Standard. Is standard it standard drop D? It's or is it just standard E? Standard E. Okay. I think it, like, it sounds I think heavier the bass than player that. Player does like you know like he'll tune down. We mostly just play standard. Interesting. Yeah, you, you, mm-hmm. it's a really heavy, thicker sound for for ease, but you know it, it, a lot of it's the tone. Yeah, a lot of bands still still tune in E. I mean, like a lot of people think that Tool for for one band, you know, talking about same tuning with everything they've ever done since their first album, they've just been in standard tuning with a drop D. Me as a solo artist, like I I do like drums and everything with my feet, like with run a drum machine, all that shit, and it's like my songs are in 15 different fucking tunings, and I don't. I'm just talking like with a capo and then drop D, right? And then sometimes I'll tune the uh, east top E string down to D as well. So there's a few things, and if I feel like doing talks to angels, which I do once in a while, then I got to tune to an open tuning. But it, it's a fucking nightmare, you know. If you don't, if you're not a rock star and you don't have, you don't have yeah, that guitar and you tech, know that time it, is like ticking. Oh god, because like, yes. we, we've been playing a lot of like opening act slots. Oh yeah, they don't give you um, fucking for, shit. It's like 20, 30 right, minutes if even that. Right, so, so like it's like go, 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 go. Even like the songs that you know, like we could use a capo on, we just don't because there's you know the tuning issues. As far as the episode that uh, is this episode, the uh, Love Slave Killers. What was what was your first like thoughts on that? Because it's a it's a very interesting case. My first thought was I never heard of this case. It's a bizarre case. I mean, the woman, because they were they were partners or whatever, right? Yeah, and she was the so woman, young. The woman, she's free now, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And, like, oh, yeah. living amongst us. And she, like, does charity and, like, is trying to kind of make up for whatever. I thought it was a unique case. She was she was just so young. She grew up in a decent, you know, a very good household and like she just let this shit happen and it just escalated and escalated and she thought that she she was a lesbian and she would fuck guys, but I really think that her what really got her off was women. And and I think that she was kind of a closet lesbian and I think that she let him do this stuff to these women because I think that she only figured that that's the only way that she's really going to be able to have sex with women. Especially back then, you know, you're talking about the 80s. Perspective, yeah. And she didn't look like like she was like you know gay or anything like that. She just looked like a normal little blonde girl. So you know, either you're gonna get fucked with really bad if you're if you're gay back then, or you know, you're gonna get to do what you want with these women if your husband's gonna rape them. Right. 
So what do you, do you think that she loved him at all? Do you, do you think that like she was like trying, you know, cause they, they play it off. Like they describe it, not play it off as like, she really was just wanting to please him. Right. I think that she was, was taken by him. And I think that he was the less of all the evils, um, as far as men go. And I think that she did respect him and she did, she did love him. I just don't think that she was actually in love with him per se, because right. I mean, you're talking about a woman that was already married with two other men by the time she was 20 years old. Right. She was on her third marriage when she met him, and she met him when she was on when she was 20 years old. So I don't think that she was actually capable of having a romantic relationship with a man and being completely fulfilled. She yeah. had she had sex with his his daughter too when she was when his daughter was sixteen. He caught them having yeah. sex, and he was he was raping his daughter too because he was a he was a pedophile, full blown. Right. And I remember I, I read up I read about his upbringing about his mom being a prostitute and him. Yes. How yeah. he got yeah raped or molested and the whole thing and. She and his clients. daughter carried this relationship for a while. I did an episode, I think it was episode 24, um, called The Incest Murders. The guy actually married his daughter. Oh, God. And, and it wasn't like some interbred backwoods shit. Like they were, this was like just a few years ago and they were living like normal lives. What? Yeah. Yeah, it happens a lot more than you think. It really does. So I, I think he was he was raping his daughter in the beginning, and then I think it became a like a, a consensual thing. Oh God! I mean, as consensual as a sixteen-year-old could be, you know. Right. It wasn't. Right. It probably started off with him molesting her when she was five or six, and then he probably raped her the first time when she was twelve, thirteen. The regular pedophile pattern, and then right, she right. probably said, "Okay, I'm used to this," you know. Let's go ahead right. and continue it. She didn't know any better. Yeah, if it's all you know, yeah. Thing. Yeah, right. So it's a it's a bad cycle. But yeah, those are the two things that really stood out for me. Is I, I think that she was a full-blown lesbian, for one thing. And then just the fact that she was so fucking intelligent was just... It, it's crazy. I don't know anybody with 160 IQ. By the way... A lot of people wonder how we always know the IQs of serial killers, but we don't know the IQs of regular people. But the thing is, whenever they usually get arrested and stuff like that, somebody from a college or somebody doing a thesis or a dissertation or something for school, they will they will actually you know send these serial killers uh, IQ tests and stuff like that because they're studying them, they're researching them. Right. They want to see if there's a correlation. So for anybody out there listening, that's the reason why we always know the IQs of all these serial killers is because usually there's a college professor that wants to know their IQ. And you can fake being dumb if you if you want to get out. And you could fake a low IQ. It's kind of like shaving points as a basketball team. But you sure as fuck can't fake it the other way. You can't, right. fake, you can't fake being smart. Right. I mean, Albert Einstein's IQ, it's documented, it was 160. Hers was also 160. Doesn't mean that she was going to figure out the theory of relativity and all the stuff that Albert Einstein figured out, but does mean that that woman was extremely intelligent. Yeah. She knew exactly what she was doing. You know, there was no, there was no coercion. There was no like her acting under duress, and he made her do it or anything like that. She was going in these places and bringing victims out to him. 
So I, yeah, I read that like she you know I she mean, was having sex with like, him too. Right. She was like luring them in with like well it was like drugs right. Uh, yeah, there was there was a couple that I, we don't know exactly what she was telling a lot of them because a lot of them were dead. We have to take that with a grain of salt because most of That's these victims were all dead. Right. That's kind of the thing that was interesting to me when, you know, I was reading it about it was that, wow, she really just lured all these girls in. So Gerald is bartending at a bar and he just fires off a gun in the bar. And that's how they actually get their factual scientific evidence. Because till then, they didn't have any. God. Crazy shit. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And go ahead and, and uh, plug anything that you want to plug real fast. Um, I guess I just want to say, please check out our band, Heroin Honey. We're from Las Vegas. Uh, we usually like when people follow our Instagram and check out our Spotify. And what, what is your Instagram? Heroin. Our Instagram is Heroin Honey Band. Okay, so it says heroin. And keep in mind, heroin is H-E-R-O-I-N-E. It's not heroin like the drug. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. Heroin, honey, and then band. And yeah. Do you guys have a regular website? Oh, yeah. Our website is heroinhoney.com. And that's where you can kind of see where we're playing next and buy tickets to that show that's coming up January 30th at Triple B's in Las Vegas. We're opening up for Jared James Nichols. And that's our next show. Very (laughs) nice. Very nice. All right. So this song is called Metanoia. That was Chastity from Heroin Honey. Thank you guys for listening to us. Hope you enjoy the music. Make sure to check them out on IG. Oh, and just real quick, I did add my new single, A Motherfucker Wood, right after the song Metanoia. So please stick around and check it out. Have a very Merry Christmas.
This one goes out to one motherfucker. Oh 